1: what does motion sound like with Kizikans free shoes it sounds a little something like this experience the magic of motion get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizzik.com slash socks this episode of see here is brought to you by brought to you by brought to you by <laughs> the love of Life. <laughs>
2: Thank you
3: Welcome to episode 49 of the See Here podcast. My name is Morris, and joining me as they always do to talk expertly, expertly, I tell you, about music related film, I have from Bath, Mr. Bernard Stickwell. Good evening. And from Seoul in South Korea, Mr. Tim Merrill. Drop that needle. Ready to go. Rock and roll. And also joining us to drop the needle from Lexington, Kentucky, we have Professor Michael Benton. Good uh, afternoon to you, isn't it? Thank you. Yeah. Going into the evening. Definitely. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, Michael is a new member of the See Here podcast family. He's joined uh, the uh, Facebook group, I think maybe just a couple of months ago, he discovered our podcast and he'd sent us messages saying, I'm enjoying listening to the... A show and, and we hadn't even paid him off. He said, sometimes you say things that make me shake my fist and sometimes I think, no shit, Sherlock. We decided to invite him on. He's a professor of humanities and film at Bluegrass College in Lexington and also runs a Bluegrass Film Society. So, uh, Michael, you just want to give us you know, a few minutes to talk a little bit about your activities, what you actually do in this film society and, and the sort of classes that you teach.
4: Yeah. With uh, the film society, we're in Lexington. If uh, For people that don't know, Lexington Kentucky it's a it's a smaller city it's a couple hundred thousand people it's not a big metropolitan center like New York LA Chicago you know on down the line so we don't get a lot of the films that people get in those areas and so my whole intent with the, the film society is to kind of expand people's awareness of what's out there one of the reason I, I was interested in your show is learning about new films and you know make them available to people so I show films on a weekly basis anything that's not Hollywood blockbusters uh, obscure documentaries, films from other parts of the world, old classics that maybe have fallen through the cracks, crazy cult films. We also have a kind of sister cult film series in a bar that I was telling you about that does the more crazier cult films. But it's it's simply to increase people's awareness of the possibilities of cinema. I think, you know, it's too easy to get stuck in that mall, you know, Metaplex, whatever mindset of film.
3: Mm-hmm. So what have you been showing like in the last couple of months? Give us some for examples. They can range.
4: We just showed Princess, Sid a couple weeks ago. Um, We're getting ready to show, Princess Sid is a a newer film. We're getting ready to show Watermelon Woman, which is a film from the 1990s. It's a landmark film in the sense of a a black woman making the film independent as well as also uh, coming from the independent field. It deals a lot with the independent culture that we're going to be looking at, not in the sense of collecting, but people that kind of circulate on the margins. Probably one of the the crazier films we'll show this semester or this, this season is Short bus if you guys are familiar with that the most requested film this year i've taught it in my classes and you know you always kind of think you know this is something i should be showing in public but i love the film and i've written about it and i look forward to screening it and discussing it with people
1: well wait a minute isn't that the same guy who did hedwig
4: right it is another favorite uh we had a touring uh, group doing the hedwig show and i had a friend i had never heard of it and a friend that drove me to it like four or five times and by the end of the two-week run, we are like on a good friend basis with the people that were in, in the play and we're in bars with them every night. And I ended up writing an essay that was published about him. So I have a great love for that as well. Huh. And I, the lyricist, uh, he's partner with a University of Kentucky professor. He's a partner of, so it also gives us another Kentucky connection.
3: Hmm. Wow. All right, so we'll get some more details at the end of the program so how people can follow your writings because you uh, have a blog and have some interesting things to say there and maybe how people who live in the in the Lexington area might want to be able to um, enroll in your courses. Can people enroll in your courses independent of doing a degree or doing a formal a full-on qualification? Can they just enroll? in any of They approach?
4: can do that and they can go, of course, to the Bluegrass Film Society without any... It's free of charge, mm. I should make clear, so no one tries mm. to sue me. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it's happened before in other places, so I uh, okay. just want to make clear. And we, just to put it out there, we also have a, a film production uh, course semester long oh, wow. where you do like 16 credits and it's all the way from pre-production to post-production wow that sounds that's great yeah
3: okay so at the, the end of the show we'll get all those details out so anyone in the area can join it sounds like a really exciting set of activities here i should mention at this time what are we actually here to talk about so we're going to do a discussion about two films I, this is uh, my pick this month and i wanted to pick two sides of the same coin that subject is vinyl collection so I have picked a documentary that came out in 2003. It was actually made for SBS television here in Australia by a director, a local director called Edward Gillen. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't think he's made anything else since making this film. And I don't think he'd made anything before. This just must have been a passion project for him. The film was called Desperate Man Blues about a record collector called Joe Bassard. And then the second film that we're going to talk about is a film made by a guy called Alan Zweig. came out in 2000 called Vi- He's made another half dozen films, I think, or so since then, and I'm going to make reference to one of them in the course of our discussion, but both take very different tacks to the activity of record collection. So what we'll do at this point is, well, I couldn't actually find trailers for either of these films, but I'm going to take little snippets just to uh, put side by side right now so you get an idea of what these films are about, what we're going into, and hopefully you'll want to follow up with finding these films to watch for yourself. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to C here, episode 49.
0: The 1920s and 30s... At that particular period of time, there was more traditional music preserved on commercial phonograph records at any other time in the history of recordings. The records were made on a base of clay and different types of shellac and pressed uh, most of the uh, records uh, from the major companies like Columbia and Victor were very high quality recordings, although the buyers of the records heard very little of what actually was recorded. Due to the fact they were playing them on crude acoustical uh, wind up Victrolas. What a whale of a record. Three years ago, I had no CD player and no
3: CDs. And I decided that it was time to stop holding out. I don't know why I'm keeping
0: my eye closed, if you can see it. I guess I think I look better with my eye closed. No, that's kind of okay with my eye I used to keep a diary up until recently on my computer. And maybe, uh, of course, in that diary, all I talked about was women. And here I'm only going to talk about records. but. Uh, Maybe the point,
2: somehow, will be the same. I'm making this film. It's about record collecting
0: and about vinyl. And I could probably do the whole film right here in my house. But the truth is, it's not just that I don't like looking at myself for a whole film. But other people are more interesting. Well, some people are more interesting.
4: Well, let's hit the room.
3: We live a long, long time to get old. We live a long, long time to get old. So there ain't no need to cry. Poor old grandpa's got to die. We live a long, long time to get old. And we're back. Thanks for downloading the program. Hope you're enjoying so far. Hope you continue to enjoy Spread the Word to Your Friends. So, as I said, the two films that are under discussion for this program, are a short film, Desperate Man Blues, it's a a little under an hour, directed by one Edward Gillen, and the second film is final, directed by, uh, I think he's from Toronto, actually, Uh, Alan Zweig. Yeah. came out in 2003. What I think I'd like to do is maybe talk about each film in its own right for a few minutes and then do a compare and contrast. So oh, yeah. we give a little bit of a an idea what each one of these films represents in its own right before sort of saying what it is, that how they uh, turn out very different. And I think that'll sort of become more obvious as we go on, you know, even just talking about them individually. As I said, I picked these films and I'd seen them both years ago, but I take it that none of you fellows had actually seen it, uh, either of these films before. Uh, so I'd like to go around the table and just sort of get initial impressions. We'll start off with you, Michael. I
4: like the film. I, I think the 50 minutes, is perfect for the length of that film. I liked, you know, learning about Bessard, say like in the, the opening, was really interesting. The way you see Bessard kind of energetically bopping to an old blues record, you know, smoking a cigar, and then sliding into a visual narrative early days of the record production, you know, where we see mm-hmm. how records are being made. And then it's it's really interesting because right after that, he goes to driving towards a covered bridge and you get this feeling the way that the style of the film that you're traveling back in time. And mm-hmm. in a sense, I feel in this film that they very effectively bring me, you know, not a person that's expert in the music that's going to be covered, you know, and the music that Bassard likes, bring me to that kind of mindset where I'm going to go back in time I'm gonna learn about these earlier forms of recorded music and I thought that was a great way to do it. I really was interested in Basard, you know, throughout this. He's he's a charismatic person in the sense of, you know, he, he likes what he's doing. He seems to have a you know, well adjusted life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I mean he's just passionate about something and he's followed his passion. So that's that's kinda of interesting to watch.
5: I've actually seen both of these before oh okay uh, yeah desperate man blues i bought the dvd probably like about 10 years ago something like that and i, I have the soundtrack as well and i have mm-hmm. the there's like a five cd box set that was uh, put out of a selection of joe bussard's phonotone label recordings Nice. Um, so I'm actually quite familiar with uh, with a lot of the stuff that was, uh, was in the film. Like Michael said, I, th- I think it's a great film. I think it's interesting in how it puts Joe Bussard across as a... He's kind of a historian almost. He's kind of, you know, he, he discovered a lot of this stuff, or rediscovered, I should say, and how he's almost kind of curating this sort of part of history that could have quite easily been lost. He's a, again, as Michael said, he's a very charismatic, likeable fellow. I think he's a little, he comes across as a little pushy sometimes, but I think that's purely down to his enthusiasm for the music. And he's, he's kind of evangelical about it as well. I mean, a lot of record collectors and music fans I know tend to be quite, I don't know if selfish is the right word, but they're maybe not all about sharing what they like. Whereas uh, anybody who walks into Joe Bussard's house, within seconds, he's playing them a record, smiling and dancing and blowing cigar smoke in their face. You know? Yeah, I I think it's a a great film. Uh, Interesting guy and a really interesting part of history, and as a music fan as well. It's it's interesting at at some point in, um, I think it's in the documentary, there's also on the DVD, there's a little half hour film called Joe Bussard, King of the Record Collectors. Yes. um, Which is also on YouTube, I believe. Uh, and I, I think it might be in that, but somebody says that um, if you have listened to or bought a compilation of this kind of music at any time in the last sort of, 20, 30 years, then, you know, you are hearing it because of Joe Bussard. He's, you know, he's one of the few people who went around collecting, rediscovering this stuff. And it's because of him and his enthusiasm and his willingness to actually share that this stuff is, is now out there. So... He's done us all a, a great service, and uh, I think this is a really good portrait of him.
1: We had, like, in in the United States, there was public television, the PBS, and PBS used to have these programs where they would just do sketches of people in communities, you know, like uh, across America. For example, like a guy who owns like one of the last hotels out in the desert in Nevada somewhere, or some guy on a ranch who's raising like llamas or a huge cornucopia of people, just different people, you know, and following what they love to do across America. And there was a specific program I remember that spotlighted each individual and Joe Brassard would have just fit right in there, you know, like water on a duck's back. He's an anomaly to me because like Bernie said, he is a historian and he's almost, I would say almost like an archeologist where he actually took the time and he went out, he dug all this stuff out. He went from state to state and out in the Hamlet to Hamlet and out in the boondocks. And there's even that one part where he's talking about crossing a creek and getting his pant legs wet just to get over to mm. a house, you know, that uh, didn't have a road. And I mean, like this guy really, you know, he put the physical legwork in to rescue all this music. As much as we realize as human beings that time marches on and that we have to, you know, go with the flow of change, it doesn't mean that everything from the past has to be disregarded or buried. Bizarre is living proof of that. He's kind of caught these bubbles of time. He's not a guy, I think, that really is looking, just living in the past as much as he loves the music of the past. I think he realizes that time is going on, but I think that he's also realizing that you still have to hold on to these nuggets of the past. The only thing I I really got out of this as well is, I didn't think that you would really take to this documentary Morris after hearing that he Pitched a john lennon record out the window <laughs>
4: <laughs> rock and roll wasn't really allowed in that house it was it was either his stuff or the stuff my mom listened to and um that's pretty much all i ever grew up listening to i guess when i got to be a teenager i rebelled and uh what did i bring in i think i brought in a john lennon record and it went Sailing across the backyard like a frisbee.
3: Yeah, that was my one point of contention. But as you guys have been saying, his utter love and joy and passion for the music, in a way, sort of puts him beyond the realm of archaeologist or archivist, because that sort of implies to me that that's what you set out to do. Oh, these records are important. I'd better do something about preserving them. I mean, he started out as just someone who was buying a lot of records because he loved this music. And as his collection grew and as America was getting its own history he decided well there's something important about preserving these records I'd better keep going out and looking after them and right. as, as I think you already said Bernie if you walk into his house he's going to go play you a record he's very generous with his music of course he's mm-hmm. not going to let you touch it <laughs> and right. I think at, at one point in the film he says I was approached by the National Library of Congress they're not getting their hands on these records because they're just going to end up somewhere in, in the cellar and with right. dust gathering over them and they're just going to be seen as being in inverted commas important They're not there to be important. They're there to be listened to. This is right. real living history. This is real music. And the thing that I really loved about the approach that the film took was on the one hand, it could have been just about Joe Besad's story, but in a lot of cases, it's about the musician's story every oh, few yeah. minutes. He's spinning a record and then in a day pre-internet or pre-Wikipedia where you can look up absolutely everything you want to, he's giving you the story.
0: Uh, another really fine example of, of, of fiddle and guitar would probably be the Lewis Brothers, which were recorded at uh, El Paso, Texas, little town right on the Mexican border, 1929 ralph pierre went down there with a recording uh, machine and some engineers they wanted western cowboy singers and they got real cowboy singers i mean cowboys that actually worked on a ranch punching cattle but it's just a unique thing it's called bull at the wagon and you'll they'll fiddle a little bit and you'll hear they imitate the bull bowering. you know it's a neat
3: beautiful tune all so much imagination in this fiddle tune too it's a beautiful tune that huge record collection, he knows every song in that record collection, and yep. he knows the story about every record mm, in that yeah. collection, because he loves the music, you know, pretty much like, you know, we know stories about the music that we listen to, obviously right. not to that detail, but he'll say, oh, you know, this is a great record, and then he goes and talks a little bit about Sunhouse and the importance of Death oh, the yeah. Blues.
1: Oh, like yeah, I was, I was about to say with Sunhouse, you know, like, for first off, you know, there's uh, the guy, I forget his name now, who who does a uh, the radio bit, where he, and that was the end of the story. Like you said, he's giving snapshots of all these people along with the music, right? And Mm -hmm. that was the one part of this documentary, man, that just gave me the chills. I mean, regardless of what you think about the blues or the history of Americana music or any of it, when you see Sunhouse attack that guitar...
0: Feel hurry huh?
1: Oh, yeah. holy shit
4: that's amazing i mean
1: it's a, like you know you're watching him and you're like the sounds he's getting out of that thing it's like and that that was there was no pickups there was nothing i mean he was it was just him and the guitar and i don't care what your position is on that music when you're watching that it's just that's just unfucking real you get Bassard's enthusiasm you get what he's talking about when you see the footage that goes along with the music
4: that's what i was gonna say you have a song hard times that comes right before that sunhouse clip and yeah. it's it's they're talking about depression this music comes out of the depression era and the filmmaker is showing us the images of the depression and you're getting a sense of how the song could have meant so much to somebody you know Mm -hmm. in that time they could have alleviated for a moment the 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 suffering or the struggle that they were involved in i mean it's it's a really great style that the filmmaker did you know interweaving bizarre's interest his love of that music and and his deep knowledge and then Mm -hmm. putting those clips in at the same time so that we would see you know Stonehouse, or the images of the era that the music comes from.
3: You went and said, Tim, that there might be people out there who are watching this who are not necessarily fans of Americana, of old-timey sort of music. But I like to think that, besides joy and playing that music and putting it in context as to why it's a great song and why it's worthy of your time, I think it would, if not necessarily, make huge devotees the way he is. But you know, you might, at the time, have sort of thought, well, I'll go out and buy the CD of the soundtrack of *Desperate* man blues i'd like to at least have these songs in my collection that unbridled enthusiasm that he shows i think is enough a lot of it really does come down as well to uh how edward gillen displays this in the film he never wants to point out joe besart as an eccentric this is a guy oh wow look at him he owns fifteen thousand records wow look at it's always admiration i mean i i think he, he lets the story tell itself and apart from like a brief shot of him at the diner in one point with Joe Bessard you never really see Edward Gillen come into shock in the film it's because he realizes this is not my story this is Joe Bessard's story and this is the story of these musicians the cowboys the blues singers the bluegrass people it's all their story and yeah look feasibly this could have been a 9 or 10 hour film if he went through everything and then it might have outstayed its welcome I probably would have liked maybe another 20 minutes but I certainly got a great encapsulation of not only about the music but really who joe bassard actually was we don't go into his history because it's more about who he was in 2003 you know we get to see right he has a daughter if we get a couple of stories out of her from her upbringing but actually interestingly enough they don't turn this as well into a talking heads type film apart from you know a few words from his uh, grown-up daughter about what she saw while she was growing up with him and a few words from a rock writer guy called eddie dean they basically let joe and the music tell the story and i think that's really to its advantage
1: you could almost see bizarre do an actual series of his own where he can take like three picks that he picks and then he actually explains the history of who they, you know, and, they, and then they have the footage, you know, along with it. I mean, I could I, I'd watch that.
3: Radio is his medium. He's still doing radio shows. I, I went and looked up to see if any of the shows had been put out as podcasts. And if you look online, I think I think it's called Joe Besides Country Classics. And there's like about 25 shows that all got put out late last year. So at least if you want to listen to him, do the sort of things that he's doing, then at least you have that much. You mentioned before, Tim, about what he thought about rock and roll music, and how he threw a John Lennon record across the lawn when his daughter brought yeah. it into the house. And yet, he's not a luddite. As far as he's concerned, you know, great music ended. Well, he says in the film, I think, with the 1950s. But like on the podcast slash radio show that he does, he's playing songs from the 1960s that are still old timey in style. I listened to a couple of episodes. Uh, you know, he, he's vehement. He says rock and roll is a cancer. You, you were saying. <laughs> Before Bernie, that you know, he can seem as being very pushy, and I mean, maybe if you wanted to be kind, yes. Very... But that was about it. I didn't bother with rock and roll.
0: It was, to me, it was childish, four-year-old stuff for four-year-olds, kindergarten kids. I couldn't believe it. You know, somebody
3: sixteen years old, like I was, would even listen to such stupid stuff. But they did. There's no, well, you know, you like what you like. No, his opinion <laughs> is a rock and roll is a cancer. There's no arguing with that. And yet, I imagine you'd be hard-pressed to find any CDs in his house. And yet, there he is on this radio show slash podcast, whatever you want to call it. And he's saying, if you want to get in contact with me, then send me an email or you can follow the show at this website. So it's not like he's kicking 21st century, late 20th century technology for its own sake. He wants to share the music. The music has got to be old-timing, how it's delivered, whatever way it is. If you in the 21st century can download his program and listen to songs from the 1930s and the 1940s, if you can get to hear Jimmy Rogers in by downloading it from your computer, then that's okay by him. And I sort of found that was an interesting thing. It's normally all or nothing. Now, maybe I'm
1: making a presumption, but you get a feeling almost that, you know, he would be so pissed off with people like Zeppelin or Clapton, you know, and, and basically listening to, what are you doing to my music, man? He knew exactly where all this came from, and then to hear it kind of perverted or just shit on, you know, in his mind. And it's the same thing where Muddy Waters and Wolf, did their electric albums where the only reason they did it was to really get the hippie audience they never really looked at ramping up their music they're like look you know why don't you take it the way we play it like that was kind of like woof they really had to push him to get into that amplified thing because he really wasn't into it at all he was just kind of like look you know i i want to make it more ground level i want to make it more guttural i don't i don't want to amp it up i could see bizarre just going you know what is this monkey junk you know like i just can't oh no okay before we get on to other subjects, let's just be
0: clear what it is you're doing here. Uh, why do you have all these records? That's what I'm asking. I'm mean, trying
2: to collect
0: ra- every song in the world. Right?
2: Once.
0: You're trying to collect every song in the world? Slight like stamps, yeah. Same thing. Every song in the English speaking world? No, everything. I've got French and Italian right behind Mark And And every, every song of any kind? In the world, I'm trying to. Yeah. Yeah. doesn't matter what language you, I mean you don't have a wish list you just you just know what right yeah. you, you have in your head what you have yeah
3: so I think at this stage I'd sort of like to talk about as a counterpoint to Desperate Man Blues the second film that is a focus of this episode
1: shouldn't we call it the first one is Desperate Man and the second one is Desperate Men
3: (laughs) 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 so Alan Spike was uh, well still is Canadian director who in his film doesn't come to so much celebrate music listening as or even celebrate record collecting as to get to the bottom of why people become obsessed with record collection and himself included, and the film is far from flattering. Um, well,
5: I would actually go as far to say this isn't really a documentary about collecting records, it's a documentary about obsession and I don't know if a mental illness or mental health issues to a certain extent. I don't know if that's too strong, but it's not this is one isn't really about the music, is it?
3: It's not at all about the music. There are some people who he goes out of his way to make them look as if they're pathetic. He's doing that to himself as well because he basically says, you know, this is my tribe. You are my people. But I know myself and I'm going to reserve the the worst bile for my own record collecting habits and my own obsession. But I'm going to show the mirror on you as well. And some of them sort of they, they fight back but every time someone says hey listen for me it's always been about the music and Zweig says to them no it's not it's never been about the music
5: there's a couple of people who he, he talks to briefly who are obviously genuinely into it for the music and he's a, a lot less interested in talking to them it seems than the people who obviously are the, the obsessives
3: welcome so. to the freak show
5: <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I speak as somebody so, who is one of those obsessives, so I'm, I'm not being judgmental about this at all. Morris and Tim have seen my record collection, so they, they know this one cuts a little <laughs> close to home for me.
3: What's the correlation between abuse of substance and buying records? Yeah. Uh, both are compulsive. Both are escapist. There's ritual involved in both. Both take huge chunks of time. Both regulate the emotions when you put on an iggy pop record or an ornette coleman record you know what to expect you know where your emotions are going real life doesn't offer that that protection that certainty <laughs> all right so i'm just going to put you down on the uh, on the couch here bernie and, and just sort of ask you uh, i just get my notepad out and really i mean you, you did write to us during the week and said that this cut a little close to the bone and but you truly, you surely don't feel that you're someone who collects records just because it's there. I mean, there's there's a point in the film where Zweig says that you know his current obsession is easy listening music, and he knows it's crap, but five bucks and he gets a bag of 20 records, so he just can't leave it behind. That's not you, surely.
5: No, no. I mean, it, it's not too far removed. I, I can kind of recognise that impulse. I'm a lot more selective than that, but um, I can understand that impulse. I've got friends, I know a few people who are pretty much in that bracket. You know, I've got a friend whose entire house is full of records. He's got records in his kitchen cupboards. He's got multiple copies of records just because he can't leave them when he finds them. Yeah, I'm not there, but um, I I can recognize it, and I know one or two people who are there. I will completely admit it's not entirely about the music for me. It's about the actual tracking stuff down and obtaining it and owning it. You know, I'm fully aware that I am doing that, but I, I don't feel the need to just own everything.
1: I think there's a deeper thing here, though, and it's not just the fact of collecting and owning I think that when you see like there's so much of these these individuals that things in their lives that they can't control, yeah, that absolutely. are out of out of, yeah. out of their control, right? Do you guys know about the real dolls?
3: I don't. No, I never know. Okay,
1: real real dolls now are these lifelike human sized dolls that some men have actually bought in Japan and other countries okay, and it's just yeah, like your yeah, right. your artificial partner. Now I'm yeah. not talking about blow up doll. I'm talking about Yeah I know. dolls with the hair and they and they put clothes on and they actually talk with them and you know and it's really creepy. But it's that idea of having something there that you have complete control over. It's the idea of possessing something that you can control at any time in any way that you want to. It's just that they need yeah. that control. They need that because everything else is out of their control in their lives. And they feel like they just need that one element of their lives that they're in absolute one hundred percent complete control of. So like it like what he says is it's not about music, is absolutely right. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you, you have a real doll or you have vinyl or you collect Star Wars shit or Whatever. It's this whole idea of just being in absolute yeah. control of one facet of your life, of being the god of your own domain.
3: There's that fellow who said his stated aim was to collect every record ever made. I can tell you every song on every ktel record collection. Pick one of them.
5: <laughs> <laughs> that guy is amazing. That He's was, just your, that, uh, oh. your
3: point there, Tim, about wanting to be in control of something. He's the first person I think of. He wants to think Yeah, right. I'm yep. in complete control. I know every song on every Kate and actually he doesn't. But The King of Keto, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of Spike's contention in the film? that he, he puts to a bunch of these people who says, you're collecting these records because you're not capable of maintaining human contact, of maintaining a real human relationship. Does that seem realistic? Or is, is he just projecting because at the time the movie was made, he couldn't keep a domestic sort of relationship going. He said, I, I really, I desperately want a wife. I want a daughter. I've wanted a, I wanted a daughter for seven or eight years. I'd love to have a child. I'd love to be a father, but I can't maintain human human contact, I can't maintain a uh, a relationship, that's why I collect records.
1: Is it just me or is it all of us?
5: Right. I think that with men particularly we kind of have this we can have this habit of sort of disappearing into ourselves as a sort of safety mechanism and when that just goes way 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 too far you then get people whose apartments are just full of records and they can't relate at all to anybody or anything else. I don't know whether it's the the kind of weird hunter gatherer instinct. If, if it's repressed too much we kind of go in the complete opposite direction. There's a, this kind of weird safety uh, thing. I don't know. I don't know. And
4: to be to be fair to the collectors in here it's, it's just not collecting. It's like disappearing into your job, disappearing into an obsession with sport. Exactly,
5: That's exactly uh, it, it, isn't it? Mm. You kind of lose yourself to it. Yes. Right.
4: And it's a, a buffer, just like they're talking about yeah. against that Sure, work.
1: Sure. And I mean, when you get into a relationship, when you're talking about with, you know, somebody the opposite sex and trying to, you know, develop a relationship, there's elements in that that you can't control. So I think that these guys really find that they're feeling like it's awkward to them because they can't basically control every element of it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that in Collections, Again, like I say, distractions, you, you try to control every element. It's that whole um, power trip thing.
4: Uh, is, is it Zweig? Yeah. That's yeah. It's speaking Okay. So I, so I get the end. He's talking about when he goes out at night and yeah. he's alone. I mean, it's you can sympathize with him and he's talking about coming home and then he's with this record collection and he's still alone, but he doesn't feel that aloneness. You know, In a sense, it's a world he's created for himself. Mm-hmm. And some of us may, may look at that and say that's a strange world to occupy your time with. But once again, it's his world and he feels much more comfortable there than being alienated out in more social world has anyone read jg ballard before
1: oh yeah many
4: so, times so so really i mean watching this and especially with this discussion with harvey picar and i don't know who it was at like the five minute point it's an, a guy in an orange shirt talking about the coping aspects of some of these collective manias you know it reminded me of ballard's mapping explorations of contemporary kind of techno fetishes and kind of consumeristic fascination with certain people right. i mean right. they're not listening to the music at a certain point it's no. just it's just the symbolism it's the image it's right the mm. possession of it
1: you're right it's like the way people collect spoons or they collect postcards yeah. or they collect anything it's
5: a ritual it's it becomes... about the impulse isn't it it's not about yeah. what you're collecting yeah some people
3: gotta have half the records and some people don't have to have the records
6: uh major collectors have to have the records i've seen marriages break up heart attacks they're so you know entwined in this thing that you know they just it's it's their whole get-go in life and it shouldn't be
5: well like i was saying it's just this is something inherent i think to us as a species and particularly the male members of the species if it's not records it's football or it's cars or it's like I say, maybe it is the hunter gatherer thing because we don't actually have to uh, to do that anymore. We're just channeling it into other areas to fill that uh, that deep black void in our souls. I don't know.
3: There are a few women in this film. It is predominantly men. You are correct, but but they're a we, lot more we, well adjusted
5: than the men, aren't they?
3: Well, I, I wasn't terribly sure about the wife of that uh, Elvis fan who'd gone and decorated their bedroom <laughs> with hundreds of right. tapestries
5: and photos yeah. and paintings well, of she, Elvis around around. She obviously gave bit. up on life like 20 years ago. <laughs>
1: yeah. She's or just the, other, the end. <laughs> or the other girl who said, uh, oh, I collected every Turtles album and I just drew this picture of Frank Zappa <laughs> on my t-shirt. Like, uh. Back out slowly. So basically, you're making a film because you feel guilty. I don't know that we can solve
3: all your problems. What's the thesis of this whole piece? Are you listening to me? Because I'm wasting my time if you're not in prep for this discussion I went and watched a film that I'm not sure if it's his latest it's like very recent like maybe about three years four years ago Spike made a film called When Jews Were Funny and um, the film is basically it's like vinyl it's another Talking Heads documentary just it has a budget and better production values and the theme of the film is to search for the answer to the questions about a whether there really is such a thing as Jewish comedy and if post-cat skills post-europe mid-20th century are Jewish comedians in America still funny and the reason why I particularly wanted to bring this film up, not just to say, well, I've seen another Zweig film, but there's two things which I sort of see are a good connection to vinyl. Now, more than one comedian in the film calls Zweig out for not necessarily making an authentic investigation into the subject matter, but really using the film as a means of purging his own guilt at not really having made any purposeful connection with his Judaism. So all the people in vinyl are sort of saying, hang on, you're calling us a weirdo, who the hell are you? But right. in, in this film, uh, they're, they're, once again, they're calling him out, and Tim, you'll be interested to know that in particular, Bob Einstein really, <laughs> really rips into him. And the, the whole film is great. Right, but particularly for the Bob Einstein bit, it's, it's worth the price of admission. And the second thing that I thought was uh, interesting is it's a good postscript to vinyl because, as I mentioned earlier in that film, Zweig says that his dream was to get married, was to have a real relationship, to have a domestic relationship, and to have a child. And in this film, at the age of 60, he's married and he has a... I don't know, she couldn't have been more than, I think, one or two years old... Uh, daughter. Uh, So he's met his dream of domesticity and yet he still has (laughs) some level of guilt. I I read an interview with him where he said he did cull a lot of his record collection, but he is still collecting records, but to what he deems a manageable extent. But it's just sort of thought that those two points in this film made an interesting sort of connection and postscript to vinyl and it's it's an entertaining film in its own right as well
1: I wanted to ask you guys a question now with Zweig putting himself in the film pointing the camera at himself and his whole monologue and all of that I don't know about you but I got a total taxi driver feeling out of it <laughs> you talking to me like, it, it, it just kind of felt like, you know, like the whole thing about De Niro with his monologue through Taxi Driver, how it's just the whole thing about how he, what he wants and what he sees. And it, and especially at the end when he's talking about it, going out into the street for this 15 minutes of connection with somebody. And it's like, it just really kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it was as extreme as Taxi Driver, but I just had that whole kind of
3: uh, feeling about it. We never see him look into the camera directly. It's always violent the mirror. And at several points in the film, he's saying that all he wants is the truth and I think the mirror is symbolic of the fact that the mirror never lies when you right. look into the mirror what you see is the truth it's what you are there's no colouring it there's no rose coloured glasses there's no filtering the mirror is what you are and I think that's possibly his motivation I, I don't know maybe I'm reading too much into it but no, I think that's Would that motivation.
4: necessarily be true? Because it's a reflection if, but, if, the, well, if the camera was but, licking him directly in the eyes to I me, mean, it, like yeah, it would seem like a more straightforward, I mean, just to be like a more straightforward thing. Yeah, all right, I fucked that up. <laughs> I think you could maybe <laughs> like, look at
3: that either way. <laughs> I'm happy to recall that. No, that was just the impression that I got. There's also the possibility of, with a camera being pointed at you, you can manipulate the image that you see, right. whereas yeah. I always sort of thought, you look in the mirror, what you see is what you get. I the saw a lot there,
4: of critiques of him doing that. I mean, people that were really annoyed by it and said, you know, this film would have been much better. And I, I think the film really benefits from that, you know, because you keep getting that kind of grounding where he's at least looking back, because he is, in sense sense exploiting these people, and, but he keeps turning the camera back on himself yeah. and letting us yeah, know that he's he's the same person. So yeah,
1: it, right,
5: exactly. He gets if away he wasn't with it because it, of that, doesn't he? Definitely. If,
1: yeah, if he wasn't in it, then it would be much more exploitative. One thing I wanted to say also about both films and collecting in general was I was just having this discussion with somebody and I was saying that, you know, I admit I collect DVDs, Blu-rays, I've got a whole bunch of posters and ephemera, and guilty as charged, but here's the thing. I was just explaining To somebody recently that you can't measure taste, but the thing that really is sad in 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 one sense is that when something becomes more popular in society, they create more of it. Obviously, right? So that the chances are. In fifty years something is still gonna be more available based on the fact that Transformers was so popular in two thousand that in two thousand and fifty you can still get a copy of the Transformers. Meanwhile, something you consider to be really great or something that you know you really love, maybe you know it, it really wasn't recognized in the rest of society. So therefore, you know, they're not gonna produce so much of it. And so the chances are in fifty years it's not gonna be so available, right? And we see that with out of print movies and out of print vinyl and out of print all kinds of things so I mean that's the impetus to collect as far as I'm concerned is the fact that you know that chances are you know a lot of this stuff will never ever be reproduced again like like Joe Broussard like the stuff that he found you know
3: but it's our values is we see these historical artifacts we see them being not just important but as having artistic merit whereas the casual music listener the casual film goer it's transient maybe so many years down the line Mm. it's nostalgic they don't relate to the music they relate to what they were doing in their life but you know hell man it's just a film it's just sure. a song
1: but what i'm saying is a lot of that transient stuff and a lot of the pop culture the pretty mindless you know ephemera and all of that sadly to say that that's the stuff that's probably going to continue to be you know available and, reproduced, well, and, well, reproduced, it is,
5: and you, reproduced you can kind of see that already you go to a second yeah. record shop or even like a goodwill type shop and it's filled with cds from the last 20 years like justin bieber cds or maybe not justin bieber i don't know backstreet boys or something like that. britney spears yeah yeah yeah. so that's the stuff that hangs around and and just never goes right it's the uh the more esoteric off the wall stuff like you say there's less of it around which is again like you're saying that's exactly what joe Bussard did he was sort of digging all that stuff up totally
1: so i think it's i think it's a responsibility you know of a lot of people to kind of like I, i have a buddy of mine actually in toronto He actually archives a lot of old films from the sixties, fifties and sixties, like old instructional films and driver's ed films and all of that stuff. And I mean, he's actually got evolved and he stores it in his vault even got to the point of where he tries to repair and restore old super eight projectors and all of that, you know, because he's just trying to keep all this stuff pristine and it's not just a hobby. It's a fact of actually saying, look, once this stuff is gone, it's gone. Like that's it. You know, and there's no bringing it back because there's no need to bring it back. This is a funny thing when you see celebrities for example you know when they're starting out and you see like for example like tom cruise on an exercise video and you know he can deny it all he wants but he started you know as a 12 year old kid on an exercise video and somebody has a copy of that and they're just going hey man like check this out i got tom cruise he didn't do that oh yeah watch this and it's like whoa like i didn't know that there's value in in so many things but i think it's up to us to make sure that a lot of this stuff remains because if we don't man and it's just going going to be relegated to the scrap yeah. heap of history and it's sad well and it's know?
5: going to allow people to rewrite the past which is you know it's something that happens constantly anyway at least this way you have a direct kind of line back there you know
3: educational purposes as well because yeah. even if we say we deem this important to be preserved and for people to hear it the next generation has to want to hear it so they can continue the work because otherwise when we go the music goes or the films go or whatever it is it's being collected it's right. gone it's only as good as far as you're sort of letting the next generation know hey this is well worth your time and interest in checking out. Do you guys think that if Alan Zweig had met Joe Bassard that he would have presented him in the same light as he presents anyone else in vinyl or he would have said this guy is an exception. How do you think he would have presented Joe Bassard?
4: It's hard to tell from Desperate Man Blues because Bassard comes off you know, in a very positive light. I mean as a which I, I'm assuming he is you know, very well well adjusted he's got a family he's got a life Mm. he's out in the community people know him right right? the newspaper covers him on a, a as we we know a decade basis he's got a radio show I think it would be very hard to fit him in the narrative of Vinyl. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, he would definitely stand out as very different. And it's. I like the fact that we watch these two together and then I watched Desperate Man Blues first. It presents a very different picture of this. And, and Vinyl could, someone could watch that and just totally, you know, dismiss this as a crazy thing. And what was right. great was, you know, watching Bastard, I could identify my own tendencies, as you all have been saying, you know, mm-hmm. to collect or archive or want to pass yep. down Knowledge, and then I can also see my own aspects of mania or disorder in the second one. You know, sure. and, and even even be kind of tripped out and disturbed by it as I'm watching <laughs> it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no shit. Things yeah. that I do. So, yeah. well, I, I think he would have a hard time though with Bassard fitting him into that film. I don't see how he could.
1: Sure, because well, one thing was was like you know Bassard said you know he'd lost his wife and like you had mentioned you know he had a family already. Bassard, like you said, like he, you know he was very social in his community. Mm. And, he, you know, he went out and he actually had to dig out all this vinyl. And he would go to communities and he would interact with people. Like, I love that bit in Desperate Man Blues where he's sitting in his truck and he's talking with those two African-American dudes. Yes. And they're all listening to the music and they're just like, yeah. And then one guy's looking at the other guy going, oh, yeah, man, I don't remember this. I know what you're talking about, dude. Like, this is awesome. You know, and they all start singing and it was great. You know, so he, he can bond with his community, whereas Zweig's documentary, it's just kind of like, so this is your." Yeah, this is my
5: stuff. I think with Zweig right, as well, I mean, this is the only film of his I've seen, but from what you're saying about the other film you've seen, Morris, it almost feels like he's working through stuff himself whilst he's making these films.
2: Absolutely. The films yes. are
5: actually <laughs> as much about him as they are the subject matter, you know? Whereas right. the the Bussard documentary is purely about Joe Bussard, and I think maybe, he, yeah, he wouldn't fit with Zweig's take on things because I don't think Zwide would be that interested in someone that doesn't fit in with what he's trying to kind of work through himself, you know Oh, look,
3: Bassard would probably kick his ass out of his yeah, mouth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> once, he got the, once he got the impression, oh, this is what you're here to do? Fuck off. <laughs> but in this theoretical world where the two of them had gotten into the same room, uh, it'd just be uh, interesting to see, well, or even if Zweig would have uh, heard about Joe Bessard and thought, is he worth bringing into the film, or nah, he's too well adjusted, doesn't fit. You were talking before about control, and... He wants to control the picture. No, I've got no use for this guy. He was happily married. He takes drives out to the country. And actually, as a thing, he also says that he had other collecting hobbies earlier on in his life, mm. didn't he? He said he, um, or he was a, a bird watcher. Yeah, yeah. A bird nest. Or,
5: yeah, yeah. Uh, right. bird nest.
3: Uh, so he had he had other interests. And even then, it's not obsessive collection. He goes to places where he sees, you know, hundreds of seventy-eight. But he's selective. He says, well, yeah, yeah. yeah th- these records aren't really that
5: important. You know, I'll take right. this one. Well, so somebody it's... says uh, in, in the documentary, don't they, that, you know, there's a lot of people out there with large record collections, but 90% of it is crap. Whereas with Joe Bussard, he's got a large record collection and it's all just pure gold. Yeah, so 100%. Yeah, yeah.
1: Now, here's a question I mean, for you guys. I was going to say, Bernie, like, you've worked in a record store before, right?
5: Well, I've never worked in one, but I've spent an awful lot of time in them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, (laughs) I've worked in similar places selling collectible goods, put it that way.
1: Right. I know everybody knows, or maybe you've had the experience of seeing That one regular that comes in all the time and he's a little balance of both I mean you know this guy's like an endless pit of knowledge but at the same time he's like that manic obsessive dude you know and it's like a little bit of the both I mean like when I used to work record store years ago we'd have this guy come in and the first time he says to me I said what what kind of music do you like I like Buddy Holly I like Buddy Holly so I'm like okay so then you know I'm looking around I said well here's a Waylon Jennings record (laughs) he says well it's not the crickets do you know the crickets (laughs) he says crickets are starting and blah, 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 blah. And their first drummer was blah, 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 And then Buddy went to play with Sonny. The guy's just going on. And he's this guy with Coke bottle glasses, and he's just looking at me like, it's just all coming, pouring out of his mouth, and he's not really thinking about what he's saying. It's just almost
5: like he's like a
1: animatronic, you know, like you pull the string behind his back and it just goes.
5: What you got to bear in mind, Tim, is this is his social interaction, though. He's obviously, you know, I mean, as you and Morris know, I spent an awful long time working in a comic book store Oh yeah, Um, and it's it's that times a hundred. Honestly, people were just so. I don't think they the only two places they ever went were their mother's basement and the comic book store. Right, Um, (laughs) and yeah, just no social skills whatsoever. You learn to
1: embrace it. Learn to let them riff and do their thing. And it's Uh, wow, I didn't know that. You know, I always think
5: there, but for the grace of God, you know, I'm only two, three steps removed from that. So I've got exactly anybody who's passionate about anything along those lines. I'd I'd rather chat with them about the intricacies of Babylon Five. Exactly. Two hours than I would talk, talking about a football match with someone or you know, four sure. people, whatever. But then yeah. you get
1: other people coming in the store, and it's when other people who's that guy? Oh, he's so and so, but yeah, don't get him going on Buddy Holly. Yeah. <laughs> you know don't
5: look at him, <laughs> don't look him straight in the eye.
1: <laughs> you, you, you know, you'll be here for another four hours.
5: This is, dude, just don't go there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I've got to be here so I can deal with it. Just don't look at him, right? Yeah.
1: So, you know, like you gotta love these people. Absolutely. I mean, you gotta love their obsessions, you gotta love, Absolutely. you know, the fact that it's not up to us to. To decide how people enjoy life, man. As long as you're not right. hurting anybody else. Zweig's got his own trip that obviously you can tell, and, and some of these other guys, God knows what they're going through, but it's like, you know, you wonder if some of these people didn't have this one aspect of joy that they get out yeah. of their lives, that they, yeah. they didn't put a gun in their head or something. You've got to let people take the aspects of joy wherever they may find
3: it, you know? Yeah. I think they probably would have found some other aspect to collect. I mean, if what you guys are saying before about the need to collect the need to accumulate something control, yeah, yeah. and you have control over something if it wasn't gonna be records it might be well you know Bernie as you said comic books or it, it could be China plates so it, right. it could be it uh, could be anything who in the world would think there would be a great blues record like this in a little town
0: of Marsville in a house like that it just goes to show you
3: they're still out there Look, I just wanted to uh, probably sort of do a wrap-up and just final thoughts going around the table and whether you'd recommend these films to uh, the listeners. We'll start off with uh, you, Michael.
4: I would definitely recommend both of these. I think I learned a lot as well as enjoyed both. There's one thing I wanted to say about both of those films. I was, while watching especially Desperate Man Blues, but also vinyl, I was thinking of Agnes Vardas, The Gleaners and I. I don't know if you've ever seen that film. Tim kept mentioning hunter gather patterns for males, but The Gleaners and I, a gleaning would be coming into fields and picking the remains and in a certain sense, you know, when Bassard's going through these places, and he's picking through the records uh, that people want to get rid of. I mean, it just really <laughs> struck me at that film. And this film comes out in 2000, which is very contemporaneous with both these films. I mean, it would be oh. really interesting to watch with these films.
1: Right. Okay.
4: I highly recommend Desperate Band Blues for anybody that loves music and wants to learn about music. And I'm definitely going to go check out this radio show that you mentioned. Vinyl, as we've all mentioned and reflected on, it should be for anybody that has certain manias for anything. You know, should right. take a look at this, think about it not be dismissive, be aware of our own tendencies in a certain sense. Right. Um, I don't know. There's the, the one man in vinyl that, that had cancer. I mean, I just had deep empathy for him. And, you know, to see his house like this and to just kind of reflect on, you now he's struggling with it. I mean, throughout the film, it's it's a very moving film, you know, difficult. It's not the easiest thing to watch.
5: No, but no, it's not.
4: I think it's, I think it's really important to, to, to take a look at.
5: It. Yeah, I would, I would echo what Michael said, particularly with vinyl, with people who have, have these kind of urges or interest but also people who don't who perhaps know people like that you know kind of long suffering partners of a, you know collectors or what have you you know it gives a uh, an interesting peek inside to uh, that kind of inside to uh, inside of that kind of mentality yeah I would totally recommend vinyl to anyone really you know it's, it's not laugh a minute put it that way not at all um, and uh, yeah Desperate Man Blues as well again as Michael said if you've got any interest in music I mean, even if you don't, to be honest, the Buzzard such an engaging character. And because it's just a nice, concise 50 minutes or so, it's not a huge investment. So if if you just like interesting, eccentric characters, absolutely recommend both of them.
1: Yeah, I, I uh, concur with both of you guys. I'd say that both of them are absolutely fantastic films. With Buzzard, it really took me back to my granddad my mom's dad because, uh, you know, he was the one who used to play a lot of Tex Ritter, Bob Wildis, a lot of the old cowboy music and even, you know, yodeling, you know, I'm growing up with listening to like cassette and hearing actually people play in campfires, you know, when we used to go camping, you know, in the summertime and just hearing a lot of that old music and it just really brought back memories of my granddad to me. In terms of uh, Zweig's film, Michael, you were talking about films of the past or something that reminds you of something else. It reminded me of also the film The Collector, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I read the book based on okay, the book. OK, it just reminded me, though, of that whole mindset where you're wondering whether some of these people were just two steps away from, you know, yeah, OK, you know, it's like I'd really wow. I really want a girlfriend. I really, <laughs> really want a girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, you know, at the same time, you empathize with these people as well as you're put aback by them, you know, how far things go. But you really have to respect the joy that they get from doing what they do, and I mean as long as, you know, it keeps people on an even keel. I would rather see people being medicated by collecting vinyl than actual prescription medication, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I would rather see people kind of scratch their itch or, or, or keep themselves on an even keel through their obsessions than actually, you know, wind up becoming, you know, a, a Prozac zombie or something like that because of keeping themselves in check. Another thing, too, that got me as well as seeing Zwig's film is it reminded me of the work of Errol Morris in a way yeah because the way morris would find these characters that were just kind of left of center and in a way it, it reminded me of the uh what was that film that morris did about the pet cemetery about uh people losing their pets and it was oh, all about... Yeah, kind of-
5: yeah. Something, is it about the, uh, is the title kind of where it so, is? It's somewhere in Florida, isn't it? Yeah, right. It's up yeah. in
1: heaven, I think, called. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but anyway, it was all about obsessions and about the meaning of companionship and about being able to develop relationships or the lack of relationships and all of that. So I think Zweig really touches a lot of things. And yeah, like where Bernie said that Brassard's
3: a little pushy,
1: Zweig <laughs> <laughs> is very pushy. So, uh, yeah, I highly recommend both these films.
3: I'm so glad that all you guys really love these films. I watched them years and years ago, and I can't think for the for a moment why it was I hadn't brought these to the table earlier, but I'm glad we finally got to them. The whole thing about Bessard to me is he looks like, I guess, like a man-child. Every time he puts on a great record in the film... The smile just lights up the room. He's playing air fiddle, air guitar, air double bass. And it's the total joy that is shown by a child. And that's not meant to be a put down. It's joy that is true. It's not joy that is put on for the camera. It's not spoiled. It's like, man, this is the best thing in the world that I'm doing, is playing you this record. I think he's playing at one point, I can't remember who the record was by, but he's playing some hot jazz. And there he is, like, waving against the record like you know getting getting rid of this yeah, uh, yeah. The, this smoke from from the yeah. hot jazz it's the joy is honest the joy is true the thing i take away from this film you know you don't have to love this music to love this film but i'd be surprised if you came away from the film without wanting to pursue it further just purely based on his excitement and showing you this is why this music is great not just important and Spike's film once again, yeah, he's some, he started out with an agenda but you so, sort of wonder whether it's as much about him playing devil's advocate. He, he said, look, I, I just want to put this question out there to the viewers. Yes, yeah, so he, he puts himself in the spotlight and he says, yeah, there's a real problem here, but is it just as much about generating conversation like what we've been doing for the last hour or so as it is about public therapy? It might be just, you know, sort of cheap therapy for him. I don't know. But yeah, like you guys, I would completely 100% recommend both of these films to our listeners. Uh, If you've been listening to the show this far along, then you're obviously fans of music-related films, and these two are really, really good ones. I love a good documentary. It sucked me into their world, and even like you could argue that Spike's film at two hours might have gone a little bit too long, but I never was once looking at my watch. I think much longer would have been a problem. And the film is on YouTube. You can find it out there on YouTube. So, um, final, I'd recommend that. You might have to search a little bit more if you can find the DVD for uh, *Desperate Man Blues*. It should be out there. Alright, at this stage two things left to do, so first of all, Michael, once again, thank you so much for your first, and hopefully not your last, appearance on the Sea here. It's been an absolute joy having this discussion with you. It's been my pleasure
4: on here, and uh, actually, you know, it's great always to interact with new films and talk to other people about it. If anyone's interested that's in Kentucky, one, check out Desperate Man Blues and think about Gatewood Galbraith, our perennial governor candidate, a dead ringer uh, in, in look, as well as attitude uh, two, if you're interested in the Bluegrass Film Society, it's we have a, a site on Facebook. You can Google it. You'll find it. I also have a website that's called Dialogic Cinephilia. Um, if you just Google that, it'll come up or internationalfilmstudies.blogspot.com. I'm always interested in talking to other people about films and other cultural things as well as you know meeting up to see a film if, if people are interested and in talking about it um everyone's thanks. welcome to film society
3: fantastic i'll put the links to those sites in the post for this show thanks i appreciate it so bernie it's episode 50 next month and it is your pick so it's a very auspicious occasion episode 50 okay what well have it's, you uh,
5: it's a big episode and mm-hmm. speaking as as we were, well, as you mentioned just now about it's criminal that we haven't covered vinyl and Desperate Man Blues up to this point. There's a big <laughs> heavy hitter of a film that I think uh, it's about time we covered. Don't say
1: rattle and hum. Don't say rattle and hum. <laughs>
5: <laughs> it's Don't you YouTube's dare, rattle and hum. Oh. Oh. No, 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 no. I was initially going to pick the germs biopic. Uh, what we do is secret. And I thought, hang on, if I'm going to pick a biopic... What's the big one that we haven't done? So next month, we are going to be talking about Oliver Stone's The Doors. Mm, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <a>, polarising <laughs> film, to, uh, to put it yeah. bluntly. So that should be interesting. I haven't seen it since I saw it at the cinema, in fact. I haven't seen it since it came out. So I'd be very curious to revisit it and see what you guys think as well.
3: We'll talk about that offline.
5: <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
3: Uh, so there you have it, Oliver Stone's biopic on the doors coming next month to see here. That will be March of 2018. Housekeeping stuff, if you want to interact with us, and we sincerely hope that you do, you can go onto Facebook, facebook.com forward slash groups Forward slash C here. That's S-W H E A R. We can be found on iTunes, or you can get us from c here.podbean.com or just look us up in the podcast catcher of your choice on your mobile device, whatever it might be, could be podcast addict is the one I use, but any podcast catcher should be able to uh, track us down. Recommend us to your friends. Just recommend us to one other person. If every listener recommends us to one other person, then we'll have maybe yeah. 10 listeners.
5: <laughs> <laughs> 10. We may break yeah, your luck figures.
3: I recommended you to 10. So maybe actually,
5: actually you know, that's, that's something <laughs> I've
3: been meaning to say. Michael, you have been tireless in promoting this program even before I invited you to come on. I'm so flattered. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for... so much.
5: Yeah, the check's we, in the post, Michael. Thank you. If yeah.
3: I like it, I'm
1: one of those close you know
5: <laughs> <laughs>
1: one thing I wanted to say too you know seeing this this is I'm part of this podcast you know as of today's recording I just want to send out a happy birthday to uh, one Mr. Alejandro Jodorowsky oh holy kine. Yeah, keep going Jodo yeah,
3: yeah definitely keep on I going he's, I reckon he's a big fan of this show <laughs> oh, yeah well he Absolutely. will be I, hopefully alright so uh, with all that done in the can next month the doors gentlemen this is the end beautiful friends <laughs> I had to do it. I'll probably do it again next month. So um, until next month, please listen to some great music in your vast collections. Please play your way through those records. Don't let the music stay idle. Watch some great films and be nice to each other. And until next month, we uh, look forward to um, speaking to you again then. All the best. Cheers.